Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking with Michael, Recon member Mongrel87, and Indy, a clinical psychologist based in Sydney, about shame. Of course, I'll definitely be focusing on kink shame a bit later on in our chat, but we can't address issues around shame and culture of shaming without acknowledging the sense of shame or what is deemed to be shameful and that it doesn't only come from within our kink community. Please enjoy the episode. Okay, so this is a topic that we've been wanting to talk about for such a really long time, probably since we started the first season of the Recon Podcast. Shame and King Shame are something that has popped up again and again and again, and I'm really glad that we're finally at a point where we can talk about it. Um, but we know that it's such a complex topic, and I want to talk about one bit of it first, and then we'll spend maybe the, I mean, we could probably talk about shame and king shaming for the next six or seven episodes of the podcast. I think there are so many layers that we can strip back. We can go on and on and on and on. But I want to talk about, you know, the layers, why people might want to shame us, why they feel like they want to shame other people. And maybe why we think what they say or what they do should make us feel ashamed uh, because of our lifestyles or our sexuality. Um, I think the effects of experiencing shame from other kingsters especially, uh, or from people within the mainstream gay community, let's begin there, from the mainstream gays, and especially like friends and family or even from strangers. Um, you know, the effects of this are long lasting. Um, it affects our lives, it affects our relationships, um, you know, but for some of you, we know there's quite an interesting uh, dynamic and we will talk a little bit later on on what I now know to be called erotic humiliation. Um, and I will definitely get my guest to talk about that a little bit more and how this can be such a turn on for other kinksters. Um, but before we get kinky, let's look at just what shame is. And I'd like to think, I'd like you to think about a time when you were shamed by someone or a time you felt ashamed because of something you enjoyed. Um, you know, that someone made you feel like, well, you shouldn't enjoy that. Um, as a child, I was constantly ridiculed by my granddad. You know, I mean, the man was fucking relentless. You know, whether I was talking or walking or eating, the way I dress, playing tennis, mowing the lawn, you know, it just never seemed like whatever I did was good enough. And his constant thing was, you know, you're doing it like a sissy. And he never cared who was around, you know, who was listening, who was in earshot. And I think that his... This was maybe his way of thinking that if he shamed me publicly, it would cause me to change my behavior. Um, and I suppose I can say that this was my first experience uh, of being gay shamed because I knew from I was probably six years old that I was different to other boys and that I liked other boys. I didn't know what the word gay actually meant because in the culture that I grew up in, it was called something else. It was called you were a sissy, you were a queer, you were a homo. There were all sorts of derogatory terms that people used, but I knew that I was different. And if anything, this didn't actually make me change my behavior. This kind of shaming me about who I was actually made me hide who I was. And I realized very quickly that if I didn't learn to hide it well and to be very clever with it, that I would continuously, you know, face this, this being shamed, the shaming by, you know, the family member I looked up to the most, you know, this was the guy who was supposed to be like my mentor, you know, the man in the family that I should look up to. And if anything, he was making me feel like I was never good enough or like I was worthy or that I was never acceptable. And I mean, how many other people, you know, of you guys who are listening, how many of the listeners have been uh, shamed by family members or siblings or friends, especially friends at school? Uh, you know, let's not even think about bullies, you know, and especially for those of us who may be gay, you know, um, people calling us fags, homos, perverts. I mean, 
we're now lucky, I guess, to live in a culture or a time where we've been able to reclaim some of that. But I think for especially people maybe from my generation, these effects are really long lasting. And I would have to say that my gay shaming is a topic that took up a hell of a lot of years of therapy. Um, you know, and therapy has been a really good way of, I guess people always say therapy is a way of dealing with your feelings. And I don't think it's that. I think it more for me was a way of managing, um, my feelings or managing how the shaming made me feel. Um, and I look at it very differently now compared to when I was quite young. Um, as a gay man, it makes me think sometimes, especially someone who travels around the world for work, are we so naive to think that the world is really changing and becoming so much more acceptable and tolerable? And I use tolerable in quotes here, tolerable of us when within our own gay and king communities, there is such a culture of shaming. We do it so much to ourselves. Why would we expect that people outside our community wouldn't do it? I mean, you know, in one of our recent podcasts, we talked about gender identity and the topic of queer and gender shaming or femme shaming, which is so important in our community at the moment, you know, has come up. How many times have you seen in people's profiles, you know, like mask for mask or no femmes? Um, when are we going to begin to try and understand that we're not all wired the same way? And why should we be? And when are we going to think about how we can begin to allow other people to take ownership of their own sexuality without judging them or without feeling the need to shame them? Then we get into things like slut shaming, <laughs> something I'm sure we have probably all done maybe at one time or another, because we all have that one friend who is just absolutely insatiable. They might say themselves that they're just generous or that they're just energetic and they're very kind. Um, but why can't we let them celebrate, um, you know, this sense of liberation in their sexuality? Um, why should we let the social construct dictate how we celebrate our sexuality? You know, why should we want to shame people? And I could talk about this forever, but let's get our guests on because I want you to hear from them. Um, our first guest is Michael, an experienced kingster, um, who tells me that he's got a special focus on humiliation and trainers. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably right up there as well. And our second guest is Indy, who is actually a co-host uh, with Michael on their BDSM Reimagined podcast. And Indy, for those of you listening, is a clinical psychologist practicing for over 17 years based in Sydney in Australia, for those of you who may not know where that is. And yes, she's also a kingster. So welcome, Michael and Indy, to our lovely little podcast. Can you Yay. just both say a little hello quickly to our listeners? Just tell us who you are, what you do, how your kink is, how you get your vibe. Yay. Well, thank you so much for having us onto the show. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a kinkster. I love all things kink. It's taken a long time to get here. Uh, I've worked through a lot of shame myself to accept the place where I'm at now. But at the moment, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And this process that I've gone through with Indy, who I've known for a long time, we're both sort of dug deep into the depths of our our identity and soul even if that's not too um if i don't exaggerate too much to uncover more about why we like the things we like yeah hi so i'm i'm indy and i have more of an interest in being dominant in the sort of ds dynamic and i've only really been exploring king for the last couple of years so it's it's earlier on in the journey for me and because it's been later the shame has been present, but it's been less of a intense feeling, I guess, compared to some of the things that I hear from people from early on who are unpacking and exploring their kink. I would say, okay, then let, let's jump right in with Indy on this same point. As a clinical psychologist, when people come to see you, I guess unpacking is a really good word for us to use here. How do people begin unpacking the topic of shame, like maybe 
Can you tell us exactly maybe what it is, if there is a specific definition you can put on it for our listeners in the very basic form? Yeah, sure. So shame, a good way of thinking about it is that it's something that can be distinguished from guilt. So when we do something that might be against our own values or morals, or someone's pointing out something that we've done, then we feel guilty if we feel like, oh, I shouldn't have done that because it's a kind of a thing or a behavior we've done that we feel bad about. Whereas shame is, it's, it's in, de- in, it's about us. So it's, I am deeply wrong for having done this. It's more of a me as a person. So the level of the feeling is much more intensified with shame. And shame is a really adaptive emotion when it's healthy. Sometimes we do things in life that there are reason to be feelings of shame uh, because what it does is it points us inward and really gets us to reflect about parts of ourselves. Other times and a lot of the time within sex, definitely, it's a false alarm. It's something that's more, uh, as you're saying, Antoine, it's so complex, you know, it's, it's related to the conditions in the culture we're in. And maybe the mismatch is there. You know, if I think back to, I'm guessing, my first experience of shame, I'm wondering whether or not this started, like, as a kid in my house or whether or not this maybe started in school. I think for many people, the first bit of shame probably comes from the school bully. You know, there's always a bully. And I mean, the effects of this we know of kids being bullied are long lasting. And I have to say, I went to school with some cool people, but I went to school with some real bastards as well. And they Mm. were bastards since they were six, seven and eight years old. And some of them are still bastards now. (laughs) And I mean, (laughs) I'm still dealing with my issues. (laughs) But but this is what I mean. This, these things that the people point out to us that should, that make us feel bad about a choice we've made or a choice we've not made for just who we are, um, have sometimes some really long-lasting effects. Indy, I want you to maybe dig into something else for me. And I was listening to another uh, podcast with you and Michael, and you talked about something that was called the defectiveness schema. And can you explain to our listeners a little bit more about this and how this is relevant to shame or the sense of feeling ashamed or being the one who shames others. Yeah, absolutely. So the defectiveness schema comes from a whole area in psychology called schema therapy. And with defectiveness, how it comes up is that you may in life have experience in your history, particularly in your formative years, in which you start to get the message that you're somehow fundamentally wrong that you're defective, that you're bad, I'm not good enough, I'm a terrible person. These are the kinds of things you might be saying to yourself. And along with that comes a whole lot of shame, understandably, because if you're, if you say as you're younger and you've got a grandpa yelling at you for everything you're doing wrong, then you're going to start to feel like, oh, am I ever, is, is this about me completely as a person just being somehow broken? And so that's when the defectiveness schema starts to develop in these formative years of these shaping experiences. And then as you grow and you, and you encounter people in relationships, a lot of what we talk about in our podcast is that the DS dynamic particularly, so if you're a, a submissive, for example, you might be in a position where you surrender to this schema of being defective. So when you're in a kind of dynamic and you're someone saying to you, you're a faggot, uh, and you're enjoying that, it's because you're surrendering to the sense that you're deeply defective. Whereas when you're playing the dominant role, which is a role I'm more familiar with, you're actually deflecting yourself away from that schema and you're projecting it or you're putting it onto your submissive and you're trying to be as far away. It's the same as a bully. It's the same dynamic as a bully. (laughs) Not to say that Doms are bullies, but it is a very similar psychological process. Uh, I know some Doms who can be bullies. Michael, I see you like <laughs> nodding your head in affirmation yes. there. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you, I, what I loved about listening to 
your podcast. Um, I've listened to several different ones over the past few days because I really wanted to get a sense of your dynamic as well and the things that you talk about. And Michael, you really like throw the curtains open and let everybody look in and you expose yourself a lot there. And I think this is very healthy. Um, and I understand that this is a process and it's something that so many people can't do. They're not willing to do. They may also just feel ashamed about being open with who they really are. And I think, how has that journey been for you? I hate using that word journey. How has that been for you, this opening up and this dealing with the shame that you have felt over the years, like from your childhood, from these formative years into your adult life? Yeah, definitely. Like in the in this latest season, season three, we really talk about our upbringing and also our relationship history, and see how shame and defectiveness has woven itself in in those formative years. I've always been a person who's quite um, open and interested in my process. I've always seen myself as just going through a journey, and at times in releasing some of these episodes of my podcast um, and talking. I do go through a lot of uh, anxiety and, and there was an episode or two where I had a, a few sleepless nights just thinking, oh my God, like have I just told the world that? But the feedback and just my own general sense is like, I'm actually so proud and this is such a exciting thing to be part of in this world. I'm going through this thing called shame and opening myself up and, you know, I love observing it. I think there is something for those of us who are able to open and expose ourselves, I guess, to the public. Um, And in a way, this actually peels back a few layers of things which we may have previously been ashamed to talk about or something that we think, okay, if my parents hear me, they'll be ashamed for me that I talked about this particular thing. Um, You know, and then sometimes I know that we've had other guests on talking about topics. And also one of the things, you know, we get a lot of people who write articles of things for us that we post and some of them are quite personal. And it's always very interesting when I hear the podcast guests or the article contributors talk about people who message them and say that they should be ashamed for talking about a certain thing. I think there is such strength that comes with when you're in a position that you're able to actually open up and release this pent up history, this, this thing that has been agonizing you for such a long time that somebody else made you feel like you should be ashamed of. Um, And I I feel a bit sad for the people Mm. who don't realize the sense of empowerment that comes with kind of releasing the shame or talking about this thing that was so shameful. I think for a long time, it's very, it's just always commonly believed that shame would be something that was always meant to beat us down. But we know that for some people, it can also be quite empowering. There's quite a dynamic shift when you get to a point where you can own whatever this this issue is um you know and this is one of the things that has come up for us when we have the discussions around things like gender shaming or femme shaming or you know fat shaming you know this is in the culture today that we talk so much about body positivity and sex living you know being sex positive um and we talk about being welcoming and open to people of all genders, no matter how they may choose to identify. But I mean, how honest are we about that? I mean, Indy, this is probably something you deal with on a very regular basis. Antoine, as you were talking, I'm nodding frantically. I think (laughs) (laughs) One thing I just really want to say is that I've been working with some clients really long term and sometimes it takes people years. I'm talking six, eight, ten years before they really open up about the things they're deeply shamed of. And it is a beautiful process to watch that they somehow get that courage and they build up that ability to feel like they can open up 
And I see people transform. Yep. I, I visibly see them starting to engage more with their sexuality and express it in ways, you know, changes in haircuts, look, looks of style that start to be expressed. It's gorgeous. And I work with a lot of young people, teenagers. Right now I've got a, a number of people who are going through the transition process or are looking at how they're non-binary or whatever else it might be. And it's a time that it's interesting, as you are saying, there's a different generation, but there are still things they are grappling with. And uh, it is, it's, I think what happens in therapy is people are exposing themselves to their feelings of shame over time. I wonder, can you, why do you think people, some people may feel the need or the desire to shame other people? Any thoughts on why you think, I mean, we, we probably all have reasons. I'd like to hear from both of you, your thoughts on why you think people shame other people. If you're talking about within a DS dynamic, I can yeah. give you an answer. I know that I do it on a very conscious, deliberate level with submissives. Yeah. And I am only now starting to come to really understand that what I'm doing is I'm aware of these parts of myself that I find hard to accept. I feel as though I'm somehow defective in my own relationship building capacity, you know, that I can have a healthy relationship, that I can be someone who can be lovable. And so what I do as a dominant is I really intentionally degrade someone else, humiliate someone else, bully someone else. Consensually. <laughs> in a consensual way, obviously. <laughs> Very important, consensually. <laughs> but what it's doing for me is it's making me feel like I'm having reprieve from my own sense of shame. And I can feel this sense of a buzz even in my head of like, ah, you know, yes, it's them. Mm. Uh, and so on a consensual level within, a, you know, in a, a fun sexual play way, I can say that. But speaking to bullies, I think Michael's got some things to say. I think, yeah, generally, um, thanks for showing, Indy. Generally, I think people shame each other because they're not exposed to different varieties of people and they're not educated about other people and the way that other people live. I think the more you get to know someone, the more you get to know a culture or society, the less ammunition you have to shame them. It comes down to ignorance, in my opinion. Do you think, let's say that I know people who would say, let's say for Michael and myself, as gay people, we leave ourselves vulnerable to being shamed. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to get to the kinks a bit a little bit later on, but just like, you know, just talking about the way we interact generally with people. Um, and I think in a really odd kind of way, it's one of those things I would think our parents would be, you know, our parents were generally terrified for us. And they didn't know how to react. And so they thought the best thing was to shame us out of being a particular way. Um, I know, Michael, you talked a lot in previous podcasts about experiences with your family and with yeah. relationships. And I think it has turned your life upside down more than once. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's stayed with me even till now. I mean, my experience of coming out was um, I, I felt ashamed for myself. I had this beautiful image of my family. We, we would drive to the beaches every weekend. I used to live in Australia. We'd have these great holidays and somehow me being gay would ruin the family image. And that in itself, I carried on myself. I never really got much of that from my parents explicitly. My father said a few comments here and there. But even then, a child who's sensitive to the sexuality will hear that comment and really amplify it. Uh, it's what, what I did. But typically, I never got involved in the masculine kind of currency then. I didn't go uh, deep sea fishing. I didn't play football. I didn't hang out with a gang of guys. Um, it was a very like, oh, wait, I, I'm noticeably, noticeably different from the masculine world around me. And that is something flawed within my identity. It's not my behavior. It's my identity that's flawed, defective. Yeah. As gay people, I think especially as those who would identify as male, we know that, you know, 
femme shaming is something that's just rife across the community. And it's, it's really, I find it really quite interesting that people have the need to do it. And if I even go beyond that, people would even, you know, the things we see people write in their profiles, you know, mask for mask, no femmes. Um, and it's almost like, this is again, coming back to you within our own community, we're still yeah. not accepting each other for who we really are. So why mm. do we still feel the need to shame other people about being who they are? We don't want anyone to judge us. So why are we judging other people? And this is always something I have struggled with for a really long time. I mean, Indy, you must probably see this a lot at work as well. See what specifically do you mean? I guess being bullied or shamed for just being themselves and not sure or not understanding why. I think a lot of times people might see, um, you know, a psychologist or a therapist is because they want to understand, you know, it's, it's also about the cognitive, not just their own, but why people are reacting to them in a particular way. Um, you know, and if I would come to you and say, you know, this, I feel ashamed because this, 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 this person, you know, it could even be a coworker. We know how mm. much bullying happens also in the workplace. This bullying and shaming by coworkers or even your bosses, you know. Um, yeah, definitely. And just, just, uh, it's just awful. And this past week, even I've had people in my office breaking down from being bullied, and you can see it how how it really has a, a, a an effect on people's confidence on on their sense of self worth. It's and I think one I want to address is, you know, uh, tell me your thoughts on this, because I'm sure we all have that one friend who is happy to be known as the bitchy queen. Yeah. Who very readily and happily will bully. I will definitely use that word and shame other people to A, make themselves look good, feel good, or to be seen as the witty one in the party, always the jokes, you know, the joker, the prankster. But this always comes at the expense of someone else. And I always wonder that they don't often think about, I mean, a joke can go so far, you know, but how do you know how far to go before you're actually publicly shaming someone? I think it's definitely there. I think it's like, it's, it's, palpably a defense mechanism when that happens in that crowd. And I think, unfortunately, people aren't there to step up and say something, you know, a good friend would, you know, if I was in that position, I say this, but it's so much harder to do than actually say, but you would give feedback to those actions and check in and see if they, you know, you, you mentioned this, are you aware that that may have offended X, Y, or Z, or why, why do you keep doing this? It's just that structure of engagement, I don't think is so strong in our circles just yet. A lot of it is about the power dynamics that can be playing out. So say in a workplace or at school and bullies are often very adept at finding times in which they can make remarks where the conditions are going to mean that it just, it just gets said and nothing's done. No one is able to speak up. The power dynamic is definitely something I want to talk about. In a little bit, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back. But what I want to talk about when we come back from the break is definitely I'm going to hit into the kink shame. And it was really interesting before we take a break. I'll just say when I first started to work for Recon, I experienced quite a bit of shaming from other people, which I found quite interesting. And it was also people I never expected it from. You know, people would say to me like, oh, my God, how can you work for a company like that? And I couldn't understand for the life of me what the hell they really meant. I was completely baffled by it, you know, and it's like, why? How can you do a job and work with these kinds of people? Or when are you get a get a real job and stop fucking around. And I was thinking, wow. but this, this is, these are the things that people said to me. And yeah. I struggled with it for, I struggled with it for a bit. Um, and, you know, it was also from friends, uh, people I thought were friends that I thought were open-minded, be they gay or straight, didn't matter. I thought these are people I've known my whole lives. But then there's this other thing which I want to touch on, which is when we come back, we talk about the kinky bit. And it's also this kind of kink shaming, because I think people don't understand that the kink is like another layer of who we really are that gets stripped back and then that is made bare. It is laid visible to the public. And they almost 
want to shame us for taking the overalls off and revealing this other beautiful part of who we really are. And I think that's kind of sad. But let's take a break. Grab a quick drink. We'll be back in two minutes and we come back to this kink topic. Bye. Need something tight and shiny for a special event? Want ideas for your next session? At Regulation, we're stocking thousands of products, including leather, rubber, toys, electro, restraints, and playroom furniture. Now shipping worldwide, or get free UK shipping when you spend over £25. Visit our London store or shop online at regulation.co.uk. Regulation. Kink. Delivered. So welcome back from our break. It was really lovely to have a little chat about a few things coming up in part two of our chat about shame. And now I think we are going to really get into the crux of kink shaming. Um, Before the break, I talked about people trying to make me feel ashamed for the fact that I was actually working for this amazing company. Um, And it was just something I couldn't understand. And For a short minute, it almost made me feel ashamed to admit that I was kinky. And, you know, it was great to feel like I'm suddenly, I have access to this incredible world where I can express this other side of myself, maybe that I was previously ashamed to show. And I think that there is definitely something very beautiful about being kinky. And when you're not ashamed to express your kink openly or publicly because it's like, Hey, you thought you knew me, but there's this other bit of me that you didn't really know. And I'm actually there. There's no shame here. No shame. I'm showing you this other side. And I think it's in a way it's like, this is the, this releasing of the shame is also quite empowering because it's like, okay, bitches, here is the real me that you didn't realize you knew. And I want you to feel I'm gifting you my presence, if I can be quite arrogant about it. You know, we, we, we express our king publicly. We are gifting these other bitches yeah. with, the re- with our real selves. And people are trying to shame us back into a box. And it's not good. I don't like it. I don't like, I don't like yeah. people who are mean and who want to put me in a box. So that's one thing I hate is being put in a fucking box. Get rid of it. You know? Unless you're into being caged and locked. Well, that's very different. <laughs> if it's a sensory deprivation box, then by yeah. all means, put me in, lock the door, hide the key somewhere, put it on a timer, leave me in yeah. there in my shame and peace. And then it's great. And Antoine, what you're describing there is so integrated, isn't it? It's that part of yourself that you've opened up to and embraced and love, and you can publicly do that. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the first times I posted something fetishy on my Instagram. This is another topic I think would be very good. Another point for I I would love you guys to comment on. (laughs) I posted something on Instagram, like one of the first kinky pictures uh, I was wearing a rubber outfit and I have an aunt who's a deacon in the church, super religious. And she commented. And when I saw her name, before I even read the comment, I thought I would die. I was like, oh my God, she's in it. What is she going to say? And she's like, oh my God, I love what you're wearing. It's so cool. Yes. So, And I was thinking like, okay, if the deaconess auntie can get over herself and get over her prejudices and celebrate me expressing myself on the first kinky post, why the hell are you other folks trying to shame me back into a corner? You know, and what I wanted to talk about, we talked about this a little bit and a little bit on is people being out on social media. And what about the shaming, the kink shaming on social media? I'd love to get both of your thoughts on that. Well, I think I'd like to go back a bit and talk about kink in itself. I think when we talk about kink and embracing our kink, as I understand it, it's embracing the animal side of me. I think those animals, that that animal part of me, which is interested in smells, sensations, um, being rough, being dirty and filthy, those parts of me is what I call my kink. And 
kink, unfortunately, over time has been moralized. And I think that's where part of the shame comes in. It's like, oh, no, you can't do that. Sex should be this. It should be missionary. It should be wholesome. It should be done at this time of night. And I think we're still, uh, we're still breaking from that idea. So you have a very lovely kink, which a lot of people are terrified of or ashamed of. And it's basically yeah. around feet. I don't know what it is about people who are ashamed of their feet and why other people, especially in the culture where I come from, you cannot come out with some dodgy feet because people will shame you. They will let you know if your feet look a bit dodgy. But Michael, you celebrate your your feet. Yeah. You celebrate this thing that so many other people are ashamed of. I mean, it has such a high currency in the sexual world for some reason. I think, I mean, they did this, they, they looked into our brains and they saw that feet and the sensation of feet sit right next to the genitalia part of our brain. So when those wires uh, cross, the, when we're aroused, they, they touch on the fringes of our feet. So I think feet has somehow become this, this massive um, currency in the sexual world. Um, and it's something to celebrate. <laughs> it's one of the biggest kinks there is, if not the biggest, you know. I agree. <laughs> I agree. So, Indy, back to the other point. Um, sorry, we were like running away with feet. <laughs> on, <clears throat> I guess, publicly kink shaming, especially on social media platforms. Um, do you, or have you, have you dealt with a lot of people that have dealt with this kind of public shaming, especially when it comes to their kink and their fetishes? I have seen it. And usually what it is, is it's seeing either people who directly experience that or seeing others who experience it. So what I mean by that is I've had men say things like, oh, you know, I saw this other person post on this and got shamed for it. Then indirectly they feel, oh, I just can't go there with myself because look at the reaction. It just almost reinforces the shame they feel to a very large extent. Uh, but then those who do themselves experience it, uh, it's such an awful, uh, such a difficult process for them to have to then disentangle themselves from uh, because social media is that new public and the, the effects of it can feel just as much as uh, what you said, you know, growing up and, and in the schoolyard. The other side of public shaming, you know, then the other debate comes up, which is happening in more cities around the world now, is kink at pride. And it's almost like our own community that we want to embrace us. They're also trying to shame us back into a box to make us feel like, well, you're kinky and fetishy and that doesn't belong and you're not a part of the gay community. And, you know, fetish doesn't belong at pride. I'm sorry. What <laughs> are you trying to say to me? Yeah. And I think this issue, this is, this is completely another form of kink shaming. Yeah, Absolutely. Definitely. It's uh, a lot about, I think, exposure though. I mean, it's still, we're still at the early stages, I think. And getting all out there, being seen, these conversations, it's going to take a while before even our own community can accept it wholeheartedly. But I do think it is happening, but it's happening very slowly. Another point of shaming I want to talk about that's relative, whether it's gains, uh, mainstream or it's kink related. And this is about bottom shaming. I mean, seriously, someone has got to be the bottom or the sub. Um, but why should we shame someone for being bottom? And I have to say, this is really, this is a huge problem. This is, this mm. is a huge thing now. And that's almost like, shaming someone because they're willing and very happily uh, to submit to a dominant power. They're submitting to being controlled. And it's like you're telling them it's unacceptable to be submissive. But if that empowers them, why do we want to take that empowerment away from them? If this is where they find their comfort, if this is where they find their release in being submissive or in being bottom, why should we not let them have that? You know, for some guys, it's like they're ashamed to be out in public and to be seen to be submitting or to be seen to be submissive when they're in public. It's like, it's going to ruin my street cred. If mm -hmm. anyone knows, you know, there are these tops in quotes who are really bottoms, 
Yeah, but they'll so they will only top in public because yeah. they're ashamed to be seen as a bottom or to be seen as submissive. Yeah. Uh, and some people, I mean, like you know who you are. I could call some names. Um, <laughs> that you know, there is a lot of that. But I think this in itself is definitely a form of shaming. And listeners, I hope that some of you are feeling a little bit triggered. Mm. by this point because you bottom shamers you know who you are you hiders you know who you are but what i don't understand is why the fuck do you want to make people feel bad about it it's all a part of celebrating sexuality and freedom and if we want to have this sexually liberated world or space that we move in um again you're like trying to steal someone's joy and I like, like the on that note, Anton. The amount of people. So I'm, I, I identify more as a submissive. Um, I dom a lot though. <laughs> that comes out in the season. I mean, but but I, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we know, yeah. we we know that the doms are only partially in control. Definitely. The bottoms and the subs are very much in control. We know exactly how much power they really have. Okay, go on. Yeah. Go, go, go. But that, that's the thing. Like the thing is, I get messages from these high-profile, popular dominants yeah. messaging me saying that they want to submit to me, <laughs> and this is that public. I am dominant top. I am masculine and and a man, a real, a real man. But then behind the scenes, I'm like, but aren't you, why do you want to dominate? Why, why do you want to submit to me? Aren't you, why are you telling everyone you're, you're dominant and you're, you're a master when you're coming to me and, and begging to, to serve? To be a sub. It's like, what? <laughs> I mean, people can switch if I want to say. They can yeah. switch. They can change their minds. They could be a dom today and a sub tomorrow. I mean, who says that they have to be one or the other all the time? But mm. publicly, you can't be one and shame other people for the other when that's also something that you enjoy. And one thing I want to talk about, Indy, I was listening to another one of your podcasts and you and Michael talk about erotic humiliation. And I know that this is something that's probably so extremely layered um, because there's, if, if I can explain to the listeners just a little bit, a while ago, I came across someone's profile and he was someone, he wrote about how much he really wanted to be humiliated. And he actually wrote that he had issues with these things as a child, as a teen, as a young adult, and even in his 40s. But being humiliated on this around these issues is what made his cock hard. Mm. And whereas most people who, when they're f- shamed or feeling ashamed about something, they cringe away in a corner. We're running. We don't want someone to be shouting abuse. And I think it's a very interesting dynamic when that whole dynamic is turned around and this, what we would say is, erotic humiliation this humiliation is absolutely arousing to someone else and maybe you can like expand on this and shed some light on this this dynamic for us yeah so erotic humiliation when you are the receiver of it so say you really like it you like someone telling you that you're degrading you uh what that's doing is it's putting you in a psychologically safe place in which you can feel connected to that person. How is that happening? Well, it comes back to earlier on in our conversation when we were talking about the defectiveness that we might feel. So for some of us, we might deeply feel that we are, uh, you know, we internalize the homophobia. I am a faggot, you know, that on some level, definitely only on some level, we feel that, right? And so then it's safe when you have a dominant telling you that because it's talking to your defective side. It's speaking to that part of you that's vulnerable, that feels like you actually aren't good enough. And that feels very, very connected to a part of yourself that can be arousing. It's fascinating that this is what's going on, but this is the kind of thing we're talking about. I think it's arousing because it is about learned intimacy. Like in in, in one of the episodes in, in season three, I talk about with my brother, he was the closest male to me and... I mean, he's only two years older than me and he would 
um, bully me. He would be sort of emotionally um, unavailable and he'd be quite, quite the man. And he was working his own stuff through. I don't feel the victim at all with that. But that's what I learned is intimacy. And so now in my adult life, I'm replaying sort of echoes of that, of that, that learned love, that learned connection with another male um, that's happening. So I feel like I'm one of those people who I, I do have parts of me which has internalized homophobia. Like, but in saying that, I worked at gay bars from 18 onwards. I worked for the AIDS Council New South Wales in, in Australia. I've done a lot of gay work. I've been in charities. But I definitely know that I have somewhere in me internalized homophobia. And it arouses me to be called those names uh, because it does touch on those childhood understandings of intimacy and where your place is within intimacy in the in a hierarchy of, of of masculinity or sexuality. I think for me, I would I would say this is something that someone shouting abuse at me. I'm I mean I'm not a violent person, but if someone shouts abuse at me, I'm looking at you like you're crazy, like you've lost the plot, and I'm going <laughs> to walk away before I punch you in the face. This yeah. is not going to give me a hard on. But I understand also this kind of it's a maybe Indy, you can tell me this is a really awkward dynamic and. Um, Michael, you touch on this about our early learnings of intimacy, whereas let's say as young malleable boys, you know, we are shaped by the dominating male figure that's around, whether this is an older brother, an uncle or a a dad, a father figure. Um, And what we want from them is this attention and this kind of love. And this could also be our way of going, well, this is the first, you know, I cannot think that my dad doesn't love me. My brother doesn't love me. This is how they show me love. And you get older and you want to experience that again because you will still love your dad. You still love your brother. You love the idea of this dominant figure. And you want to connect. Yeah. A complicated one. Complicated I, I mean, one. Don't get me wrong. I spent years and years uh, not accepting that part of me that was aroused by that 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 sort of those words i went to therapy because i refused to participate in a dynamic where i was being called a faggot or a slut all that kind of stuff i was like no if i actually believe that about myself shouldn't i be going to therapy and debunking those myths although that and getting a high self quote high self-esteem and cure this shouldn't i be doing that and i did try that i went i went to therapy but in that process i sort of learned that it's not about that it's about um seeing that there's so much more to you and these are just sort of little elements that have played in your formative years and, and they could participate in a much bigger picture of who you are. It doesn't define me, it's just parts of me. I wonder that there is a fine line between erotic humiliation and self-harm. Absolutely. I have clients who directly talk about that and we work through that. And it can be something that if you're engaging in the DS dynamic and you're feeling after a session that you're you're not good enough, and it's actually, you know, it's it's actually intensifying those feelings. Then that that might be worth looking at, uh, because uh, it just it's just kind of propelling and maintaining the shame you might feel. Whereas I think what Michael's talking about is a process you might go through where you can then engage with that part of yourself in a way that has self compassion, and that requires a very conscious dominant or other person that's involved, they need to be doing aftercare. They need to be asking questions like, are you okay? I mean, when I first started doming uh, people who wanted to be humiliated, I would ask, uh, how, how, how is your mental state? Do you have social, do you have, do you have a network of friends? Are you, do you actually feel these things? And I would do quite a thorough investigation. Um, it's, it's lightened down now, but I used to really interrogate and just say like, okay, let's do this, but let's do this properly and responsibly and consciously. And it's, it's great. I think, you know, I mean, this is one, it's a really interesting subject. And it's one that we deal with, I think, thankfully, not so often in like in my job, but it's something that comes up from time to time, you know, because one of the things we want to do, especially like creating events, we want to create safe spaces for people to come out and experience their kinks and have a good time without fear of being shamed, without feeling ashamed by what it is they're doing and I guess without fear of retribution or fear of judgment that they're into one type of kink or other and we know that within our little our lovely little kink world um the things that people shame other kinksters about 
by their interest in particular things are really quite quite interesting. And I wonder if it's just purely down to maybe someone doesn't understand someone else's fetish. Someone doesn't understand your fetish of of trainers. You know, it's like when people talk about smelly jocks or smelly trainers or, you know, walking around uh, covered in piss. And these are the really simple things that we think this is how that person expresses themselves. They want to walk around in that. Great. Why are we judging them though? Why are we shaming them about that when we want to be free to experience our own kinks the way that we want to? Um, and I think at which do you think we will ever get to a point where we start to become acceptable of other people's kinks without kink shaming all the time? Tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> tell me. You want the answer? You want the answer. Yes. I think, yeah. <laughs> After the break. <laughs> um, I think it's a long way away because we are becoming so more public with our kink. It, it's a, it's an, our private kink is becoming it, being brought into a social space. And that is very confronting for people who have not worked through their own stuff. So I think it's going to take a while before that happens. Although I think what we're doing, what we're doing is we're creating those spaces so that there can be others that can walk through them in the future. And mm. I think that's a positive thing. And I think there is, there is ways that there are, uh, there's so many men I talk to who are opening up about their kink over years of repressing them or never having spoken about them. You know, just in the last weeks, I've met a guy who was like, here, this is my kinky side. Ah, I've never shown anyone. And uh, it's just great. It's But then the fact that it's, yeah, that it's a process is something I agree with, absolutely. It's There's one of the things that I really love in my job as well. When the first event I went to, I interviewed on Thursday and they told me your first task is to book a flight and find a hotel and meet us in Berlin tomorrow. And that would have been for Folsom Europe 2006 in Berlin. And I tell you, it was more than an eye opening, life changing thing for me because I never realized that there were so many other kinksters out there who were very out and open about their kink. And what I found really interesting was that, I mean, I previously would have been terrified to walk down the street in rubber or leather or fetish gear. But there are people everywhere Mm. in the trains, in restaurants, walking the street, on the underground, you know, sitting in their hotels, having breakfast, all in their gear. And I thought, this was absolutely incredible. I thought this is a space where I can hang out with other people who have somehow managed to overcome or they have apparently managed to overcome the first hurdle of kink shame, whereas they're actually comfortable enough to wear their kink and express this as part of themselves publicly, out in public. Um, How far away do you think we are from getting more of that where we live. Tell me what it's like down there in Sydney, Indy, with <laughs> people being out in their gear. Oh, look, there's definitely some of that happening. It's just you've got to find out where it's going on. <laughs> 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 Having said that, it's not, it's not an overt space, unfortunately. It's, it's, uh, it's there, but I don't think that you can say, uh, yeah, it's in pockets more than very, very open. Yeah. I know, Michael, I know at one point you were hosting, you were organizing uh, this meetup group uh, for Kingsters uh, in Shoreditch. Yes, that's right. And is it still going? It is still going. I'm not running it anymore, but it (sighs) is still going by these beautiful people. Um, Yes, I wanted to create a space where people can meet and not have sex and not have, you know, not take substances. There's no, like, I'm not moralizing that, but just a place, go to a pub. We all know we all have kink and let's just meet up once a month. Go have the, you know, have the trivia. We would go to recon events actually together and just a nice, safe space. And we had people from all walks of life who've, there was one person who refused to give us their, their real name. They only want to be called by their kink name. And yeah. that was absolutely fine. Yeah. It was, it was really good. Very, very good. Yeah. I mean, I know people who are horrified if you call them by their real names in public. Mm. 
<laughs> I mean, literally <sighs> terrified. Yeah. And this is, I find it also quite interesting. This is very, um, this is very much a, a pop thing. And it's also very much, I would say, if you're a boy or a sir or a master, yeah. it's almost like you cannot call them, you cannot call me by my real name. Yeah. It's like this, what I find quite interesting is that then again, coming around to this idea of not being ashamed or throwing the shame away, that they're, they want to be known publicly as this other identity, as this other part of themselves. And I think it's really quite beautiful that we, once again, we can rip the shame away and yeah. express this part of who we are. Yeah. It gives them power. They're wearing it. It's like yeah. drag. They wear their drag. And, and and as soon as you call them by the real name, you cut through all that power. Yeah. Um, Indeed, there was something that you and Michael talked about in a previous podcast, and you might have to like put the bits together for me because I was listening to it and wrapping my head around this concept of where the subs are primarily using the DOM as a way of releasing or expressing this other part of themselves that they might have been ashamed of or fearful of expressing, especially when it comes, let's say, to like erotic humiliation. Um, how, because usually I think most, in most people's minds, this dynamic is more about the dom shaming the sub, but the sub has somehow managed to switch this around to their advantage. How is this working? I actually got an example, sorry to cut in, Andy. I got an example from uh, recently where I was, uh, ordered by a dom, he was like, do you, do you bottom? And I don't typically bottom. I want to bottom much, much more. So if you know anyone, Antoine, let me know. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, loads. And uh, because I feel a bit of, I, I guess I do harbor some of that. If I'm a bottom, then I might be seen as feminine or something like that, which is completely silly. But there is still some of that which which is inside of me. Anyway, I met this, this guy and he um, did stuff to me, <laughs> consensually. And I was very much the bottom. And it was almost he gave me permission to be that filthy slut, that, you know, that pig. And he was calling me those names. I was like, yes, I'm, I want to embrace these, these, these sides of me. Um, and then yeah, the, the dominant gave me that permission. And I, and I somehow, I used him to do that. I think it's like Berlin, what you're saying, Antoine, about coming <laughs> over there. And there's this space where there's people who can wear all this great gear. I think it's the same thing with a dom and a sub where the sub can go into literally a room, a space in which they can play out these parts of themselves that are, are viewed and seen and accepted because the, the, the dom stays there in the room. The, the dom continues engaging with you. And I've seen that as a dominant where I've, I've got that uh, seeing those submissives really just have a chance to be that part of themselves that they otherwise just never get a chance to be. Just maybe on a final thought from both of you, do you think we will ever get away from kink shaming? Will we ever step away from it? Will we ever see less of it within our kinkster community? Will we ever see this inclusivity that we keep telling ourselves that we want, but somehow we're not managing to manifest it as we should be? Antoine, I'm thinking as you're talking and I, I'm, the way my head's going is that, look, it's possible that over time it will lessen, but I think that there always is going to be ignorance, unfortunately. I think there's always going to be that sense that we don't quite understand others and in that will come fear and from that might come bullying and, uh, and ignorance in those forms, yeah. Michael, where do you see it? <laughs> uh, I... I, I kind of um, echo Indy. I just think when I think about being gay and accepting being gay, that's taken so long for it to kind of become just okay. It's like, do we need to have the conversation? It's taken that this long, 2022, for that to be just okay in the fringes of society. But I'm an optimist. And I do think eventually <laughs> that we will we'll just like enjoy each other and, and let be. 
I think I'm very much like you. I'm forever the optimist. And I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but even sometimes my best friend has said, I don't understand. You always, how do you do it? You always see the good in people. You always look for the good. And I have to believe in the good. I think for far too long, we have allowed shaming within the gay community as a whole, especially between the mainstream gays and the kinkster gays, we have allowed the mainstream gays to shame us about our kink for far too long. And we've sat kind of quietly and just scuttled off at our own events and segregated ourselves in our own world and recreate our own kinks universe and create our own kinkster families. And we don't, I think for a long time, there was no blowback. And it's really great to see that that is now starting to change. And by this, I mean, let's say publicly, the first bit is the fight against no fetish pride. And I'm really happy that Kingsters are fighting back about that. We will not be shamed into a corner or shamed into a box for being out and open about our kink. I think the one way I'm tackling this problem is on my Instagram profile, I'm showing the whole of me. I'm showing Michael who plays piano and loves classical piano. Yeah. I'm showing Michael who has the crappy picture and, and looks doesn't look amazing that day and my hair's all over the place. I'm not presenting this perfect form of, of kink where people go, oh, he's kinky. He must be this kind of person. No, I'm into kink, but I also love classical music. Yeah. But I also go out. I think is on, on the other side of it, I think in, as an event organizer, a producer, I think we also have a bit more of a responsibility. One thing we always try to do is to, and I've seen it at other events around the world, and I think it's great and we should all continue to do it, which is introducing these other kinds of kinks and especially the ones that people don't talk about so often so that we're creating spaces for people to experience them in a public space. Other people can actually see that this is non-threatening. We're going to break down this ignorance that might lead to the king shaming in the first place. I think people, Indy, I think you're right. People will will king shame the thing that they're A, fearful of, or B, completely ignorant about. And if we can create spaces where people can sanely, safely, consensually explore these kinks and these fetishes, I think we'll help to break down some of these barriers. Um, I would like to think still that I know we have a lot of work to do. We have a long way to go. But, you know, I'll say it again. You know, the old adage always comes, be the change that you want to see. If you want to be a kinkster who's going to be accepted for your kink and not shamed for your kink, then we have to begin to ourselves not shame other people for exploring their kinks and being who they are and allowing them to come into the same spaces we're in and express their kink quite openly. And it may not be your thing, and it's okay that it's not your thing, but you don't need to publicly shame someone for it. You know, if anything, go away, look it up. Do so. I mean, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to watch. You can go somewhere else. That is the beautiful yeah. thing. You can go somewhere else and let that person live their best fetish life. Yes. Woo-hoo. Throw the shame away, people. <laughs> yeah. I'll just get rid of it. Okay. Last thoughts from both of you. Last words. Last words for our listeners. Embrace your kink. Learn from it and just have a lot of fun. Yeah, have a lot of fun with it and isn't it awesome that there are people like Antoine and these others in the world who are actually creating those spaces for us to then have that Mm -hmm. fun. So before we leave, Michael and Indy, can you tell us where we can find you? Where can we find your conversation? Where can we find your podcast? Yeah, definitely. Just type in BDSM Reimagined on any podcasting or music app and you'll find our podcast there. But also on Instagram, it's BDSM reimagined with underscores between the BDSM. <laughs> I want to thank you both, Michael and Indy, for coming on and sharing this with us. And I'm going to put it out here on another podcast. These things always happen with the podcast. I love having these conversations with people because it also makes me think about what 
we not just what I'm doing as a defense producer, but what we are doing as a brand, as a company, and how we can also begin to help people to make these changes. And I love the fact that we are continuing with the podcasts and that, you know, we started with a lot of these open discussions. And during Fetish Week that's coming up, we're planning an, another set of discussions around other things to try and break down some of these barriers. You know, um, one of the things that we're going to have an open discussion on is uh, on gender. Um, the other one is on the reality of submission, what it's like uh, to you know, to be, to be a sub and to help people to understand what that dynamic is like so that they're not shaming the guy or shaming someone into being a sub. Um, and the other one is, I'm going to leave it on this note, that fetish that so many of us are terrified of, the fetish of ABDL. Oh. Adult baby diaper lovers. This is something that people oh. really love to shame. And I think it also comes out of a bit of ignorance. So we're going to also have this discussion. So I think slowly by slowly, we're going to try to tackle these, these issues and these points. And let's talk about what our kinks and our fetishes are. Let's talk about what we love. Let's talk about it with, without inhibition. Let's allow other people to do it openly and freely. And please, let's not shame them. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast and we'll see you next time around. Thank you. Thank you. 